Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead and show us what you would want us to see from this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 28. And we left off with David living in Philistia with Achish, the king. And Achish gave him a, a town to live in called Ziglag. And David was busy raiding, making raids, and he kept telling the king that he was raiding uh, southern Israel, and actually he was raiding toward the south of Philistia. Uh, and uh, the king believed him and trusted him. And so we're getting ready to go into chapter 28. And chapter 28's got a very interesting story that we're going to get to that is a little harder to to understand and, and completely follow through. So, chapter 28, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know you assuredly that you shall go out with me in battle, you and your men. And David said to Achish, Surely you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said unto David, Where, Therefore will I make you keeper of my head forever. All right, we're going to look at this. David has been living with the Philistines. He's, uh, Achish has believed that he's been doing, you know, attacking Israel. He, Achish really believes that David has made himself a great enemy of Israel. So he's getting ready for battle. All the Philistines are getting ready for battle. And Achish says to David, uh, you and your men are going to come with me. David is in a little bit of predicament here. He really doesn't want to fight Israel. He's supposed to be king of Israel at some point, so he really doesn't want to go fight Israel. He doesn't want to be responsible if Saul dies. And because he's been playing with the world, he's been lying, lying and living a life of a lie, God is kind of getting ready to call him into an account here. Uh, David, you've been living this lie. Now we're going to make it come to an end. You're going to have to decide. The king is going to take you into battle. So we, this is just a setup. This is, this is all this chapter goes into. We're going to go further into this later on. But this is just a foreshadowing. David has a problem in, in his near future. And that is true for us when we play around with sin, we play around with the world. We may think we're getting along and getting going okay, but at some point, God is going to come say, choose, are you going to follow me or are you going to follow the world? And we as Christians cannot stand with our feet in both worlds for long. Uh, it would be like trying to get on a boat and keeping one foot on the boat and one foot on the, on the dock as the boat is leaving the dock. At some point, you're either going to stay on the boat or on the dock or in the water, but you're not going to be able to stay on both for long. And this is where David is getting to. And David is still trying to play him. You know, you're, you're going to get to know what I can do. And Achish is really being serious with David. He truly trusts David and says, okay, you're going to be my bodyguard. Literally is what he's saying. You're going to be my keeper. You're going to be my bodyguard when we go into battle you're riding at my side. Now that is quite the honor position for somebody to be in because the bodyguard was always the best unit in an army. It had the best of the best. 
and uh, they would be responsible to keep the king safe. So the king is saying, David, you're going to be, I think you're the best of the best. You're going to keep me safe, which tells you where he thought David was as far as David's battle uh, credentials from Israel and why Saul never recognized this is a whole other story with his jealousy. But Achish is willing to go into battle with David by his side. He does not realize that David has not been attacking Israel, is not getting bad reputation with Israel, and he's ready to take David by his side, and David plays along still. You know, at this point, David should be kind of backtracking a little bit and saying, you know, well, you know, I don't know if this is really a good idea, but if he does that, then he becomes the enemy of Achish. And this is the problem when we play with the world and try to make them think that we're okay with them. When that point comes, we have to make a decision of re giving them the gospel or reproving them for their actions or standing strong for God. We are so compromised that we can't really step out and say, you know, hey, that's not, that's not the way to do it. Because then they look at it and say, who are you to talk to me about that? You've been, you haven't been following all this time. And this is where David's at. And this is just that foreshadowing. It's, we're going to take this, this problem up a little later. But David is in a predicament. The king is saying, David, I'm, you're going to ride with me into battle against Israel, and you're going to be my bodyguard. And uh, so we, we have that. Verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lament, lamented him and buried him at Ramoth, even in his own city, and Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and, and the wizards out of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And, Saul saw, and when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that has a familiar spirit, that I may go to her, inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that has a familiar spirit at, at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray you, divine unto me by the, by the familiar spirit, and bring to me him up, whom I shall name unto you. And the woman said unto him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, there shall no punishment happen to you for this thing. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto you? And he said, Bring up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spoke unto Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me, you, for you are Saul? And the king said unto her, Be not afraid for what, you saw, for what saw you. And the woman said, I saw gods ascend out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man come, comes up. And is covered with a mantle, and Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and answers me no more, neither by prophet nor dreams, 
Therefore I have called you, that you may make known unto me what I should do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then do you ask me, seeing that the Lord has departed from you, and it is and it has become your enemy, and the Lord hath done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, even to David. Because you obeyed not the voice of the Lord, nor executed his fierce ang anger on the Am Amalekite, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you sh shall you and your sons be with me the Lord shall also deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell straightway upon all along the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no bread all day nor all night. All right. This is one of the more interesting sections of scripture because it really is, has some troubling aspects on it. All right. We're going to see... Samuel being called forth to talk today to, to uh, King Saul. Now, the one thing we know in the scripture is when you're dead, you're dead. You don't come back to this earth. So this gives us a question of, did Saul really see Samuel or not? If he didn't see Samuel, what did he see? And it gives us all kinds of perplexing questions. And... Um, I'm going to say that I believe that he probably saw Samuel because the Bible says he saw Samuel. And even though we know that the dead don't walk this earth and don't come back to this earth. All right, this is one of the great things that we have as Christians. When you're dead, you're dead. You're either in heaven with God or you're in hell waiting the white throne judgment. Plain and simple. Uh, we have all these people who say they meet ghosts and spirits of the, of the dead. They're meeting demons pretending to be the person that they're wanting to see. What, there are basically three answers to this question of whom did Saul see. One is he saw Samuel. Okay, makes sense. One is that he saw a demon that was told by God what to say and basically pretended to be Saul, which kind of makes some sense other than God using a demon to do something, something fairly, fairly good. And there are some people who say he saw an angel. I don't buy that because that doesn't fit into the way angels are supposed to operate. They're not supposed to lie. They're not supposed to deceive. So I will throw that one out the window when I read that one. I don't buy, buy into that one. I can understand how we could say that he met a demon and God said, this is what you're going to say, and held the choker real tight on the demon. Um, but the Bible does say he saw Saul. So being that it says that he saw Saul... I have problems with it, but I'm going to accept that he saw, uh, saw Samuel. I have problems with it. I will accept that he saw Samuel and that God did something abnormal for Saul to see whom he wanted to see to get the message. Uh, I will not rule out a demon with a short, <laughs> short leash. It doesn't bother me. I vacillate between the two as I look at this section and see, okay, what did Saul really see? But it does say that he saw Saul. But in the actuality, it really doesn't say he saw him. It said that the woman saw, saw him rise up. So I don't know what we've got there, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not really worried about that. We're going to concentrate on the message, <laughs> the message that was given to him. But I do want to lay out the, 
the, the school of thought on what you might hear. So you'll hear different people tell you different things about this. Uh, I'm leaning in this day and age to the fact that he saw Samuel. And God just said, okay, Samuel, the only person that Saul is going to listen to at this point in time is you, so you can go ahead and please go ahead and talk to him, talk to him and give him my message. Um, I'm going to repeat the message he's already given Saul, but, you know. But uh, it says in verse 3, Saul, uh, Samuel was dead, and all of Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramoth, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those with familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. All right. Samuel had passed away. And this was way back at the beginning of our book that we've been studying. Uh, Saul has been pretty much by himself over these times ever since he did not kill the king of the Amalekites. If you remember that story, he, that's when he lost the kingdom. He was supposed to go out and kill all of the Amalekites and all of their animals. And if you remember the story, he brought back the best of the animals, blaming the people, saying the people wanted to offer these to the God, you know, uh, and I just couldn't stop them. And then he goes, and I killed all the men, and then out comes the king of, of, of of the Amalekites and, and remember Samuel then pick up the sword and he killed that particular king. Why Saul didn't, we don't know. It doesn't go into the reasons why he didn't. Were they friends? Did, they, did he respect him? Did he figure he could learn how to be a better king? We don't know. But he didn't obey God. And Samuel's told him, God has taken the kingdom away from you because you are not worthy of the kingdom. Now, it's going to take 20-plus years for Saul to finally lose the kingdom. But the kingdom was taken to him, and as far as God was concerned, it was taken from him the moment he said that it was gone. And this is the thing we have to really understand about God. Whether it's good or bad, when God says something, it is true. When God says that somebody is going to pay a price for something, they will pay the price. When David was judged for his sin with Bathsheba and with the killing of Uriah, he had a threefold curse upon him, on his family. One was that the sword would never leave his family. And he had had problems the rest of his life, and then some for the rest of his family had problems with resurrect, uh, 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 yeah, uh, revolutions and and just bad things, and David's own sons, you know, uh, one raped his, his, his daughter, and the other one killed, the, killed that one for raping him, and then, you know, revolted against David and tried to take the kingdom, and all these things happened, and David had trouble. And if you just can picture this, how much trouble did David have at night sometimes, sitting back and saying, man, God, so many bad things are happening, and it's my fault, you know. Uh, Absalom has rebelled against me, and I'm running all over the kingdom, running from Absalom, just as I did Saul, and it's my fault that he's doing this. You know, uh, Absalom took David's wives and had sex with them up on the top of the, on, on top of the palace to show that he had deposed his dad, you know, which was exactly what God had said as the number two complaint was. What you did in, in secret was going to be you know, exposed on the, in the open. And so he had sex with Bathsheba. Absalom had sex with all of his, David's wives, 
you know, to, and that was what God said. And the last thing that God said was that this child that Bathsheba bore was going to die. And this was the one before Solomon. So the immediate one, the one that was immediate was the death of that child. Then started the process of all the sword in David's, David's family, and then Absalom rose up against him. So all of those did happen. A couple of them took decades to happen, but the immediate one was the death of that child. And oftentimes God will tell us something's going to happen, and we kind of get a little slack. Well, you know, it hasn't happened yet. Maybe, maybe God's not going to give me the consequences for this. If God says the consequences are coming, the consequences are coming. And Saul had these consequences pronounced on him. You're going to lose the kingdom. It's going to be taken away and given to, you, to another. And that was part of his problem with David all of those years, for all these decades that he's been chasing David, was David was that candidate. And whether he knew that David had been anointed, I don't know, but can, David was definitely the best candidate. He's being raised up in the sight of everybody. He's victorious in battle. He handles himself well. God is blessing him. And so Saul now is getting to the end, end of his kingdom, and he's done one thing right that verse 3 tells us. He's put away those that have familiar spirits and wizards. Okay? That was against the Levitical commands. You did not play around with the dead. And so Saul has done at least one thing right in his kingdom. He's got rid of those who are fortune tellers and using and communicating with uh, the dead, which is what this whole idea of uh, familiar spirits are. There's those people that worship, uh, call up demons and, and uh, spend time with demons. Okay, so Saul has done at least one thing right in his kingdom. And he started out on a pretty good note, but at least he has kept that part of the kingdom pure, mostly. <laughs> And the Philistines, he says, gathered up their armies, and they've pitched over on Shunem, and Israel is gathered up on Gilboa, and Saul saw the army arrayed against him. And he is fearful. Uh, we've talked about various times when he's gone to battle with the Philistines, but it doesn't appear that they've had their entire army pitched against him. But this is a uh, picture of, as we saw in the first part of it, the Philistines have gathered up their entire nation. They are going in, their, their plan is to wipe out Israel. And they've gathered up everybody in, in their land to come against Israel. Saul, I'm sure, has gathered up everybody from Israel, but now he's looking at this army of, on the other side of him. He has no confidence that God is on his side. He's been struggling with them up until this point. David is no longer on his side. You know, he hasn't seen David ever since he moved to the Philistines. As far as he knows, David is on the Philistine side, you know, ready to take his life because that's his paranoia. And all of a sudden he's looking over with no hope. And then he does something that is really a good thing. In verse 6, Saul inquired of the Lord. He went and asked God what's going to happen. And at this point it said, the Lord answered him not. 
And he gives a list of things that he did. He didn't answer him by dream, by the Urim, or by the prophets. Right? So here we have Saul praying. God, what is going to happen? I've got this great big enemy. What should I do? All right? And in the past, especially at the beginning of his career, God would say, go out to battle or don't go out to battle or do this, surround them, you know, all these different things that we've, we've heard. And it says that God did not answer him by a dream or the Urim. If you remember what the Urim is, that's the stone that is in the prophet's, prophet's uh, garment. And when they would go to, the, go to the high priest, they would pull out the, the Urim and the Thummim and they would cast them or shine them or whatever it is they did with them, and that would give people the answer to what God is wanting them to do. So the priest would pull this out and no response. Whatever it did did not give a response. And it said that none of the prophets had an answer for, for Saul. Saul is now, he was terrified to begin with. Now all of a sudden God is not speaking to him the priest or the prophets about this battle. This is a pretty terrifying place to be at. If you've ever been there where you just aren't hearing God speak, whether it's a test or whatever, or you have sin in your life, or it's a test saying, God, will you, God saying, will you trust me? It's a kind of a terrifying place to be when you just can't hear the word of God. Saul does not deserve to hear the word of God because of his sin and the fact that God is left him alone, and he's chased David all over the place. He's killed priests. He's killed a lot of people. He's gone, he's gone against God in many ways. And now God's not talking to him. He's facing the greatest decision of his life. You know, because this battle is a big one. He's getting ready to, do I go to battle with, with the Philistines? Do I sue for peace? God, if I go to battle, are you, going to, are you going to let me win? Do I sue for peace and, and just give them taxes for the, re, you know, for the rest of my time? Uh, what, what do I do? And God does not give him an answer. This is a pretty sad place to be. Now, he doesn't deserve one. He hasn't been following God. As said, he's killed the priest. You know, he killed many of the priests. He's not been seeking God for you know, decades. And all of a sudden, he comes and he seeks God. Now, this happens in the world a lot. They don't believe in God, don't want to know God, don't care about God, and then they hit some really big problem, and they'll make all kinds of promises to God, if you do this, I will do, you know, whatever. Usually, they don't fulfill their part of the bargain when God delivers them. But here is Saul looking and saying, I have got a big problem. <laughs> I have a huge problem and I don't know the answer. I'm, I'm in over my head, which was a big deal for Paul, uh, Saul because he's head and, head and shoulders above everybody. So he's above his head and very worried. And God is not answering him. Now, this is where he then turns around and makes a very big mistake as well. Okay, God has not answered him. God is probably saying, wait, I'm not ready to answer you yet. But he decides to take things into his own hands. How many times do we take things into our own hands? God, you didn't answer me yesterday, so now I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a way to do it and get the answer or fix this. 
And God was saying, well, I was just getting ready to speak when you decided to do it your own way. <laughs> and this is where Saul is. If Saul had not gone to the, to the witch of Endor, she's known as, or the, you know, the, 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 the medium of Endor would be the better title, would God have spoken something to him? Probably. He would have sent him a message by one of the, pre, the prophets. But God knew that he wasn't going to be patient. God knew that he was not going to pass this last big test. And he fails. And so often we do the same thing. God, do I need to do this or this? And God says, well, I really want you to do the third thing if you would just listen. But, you know, and we sit here and, and make our decision between the two things that we think that the, the apostles did that when, when Judas died. They go, God, are we, we've got Matthias here, and I don't remember the other guy's name, but they had two guys and go, God, which of these two men gets to replace Judas? And they cast lots for the two men, and God's saying, well, it's neither one of them, it's Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> I know you're not even thinking about Saul of Tarsus because he's your enemy and, and arresting you, but I pick Saul of Tarsus. They went ahead of God, they gave God two choices, and he says, I'm not taking either one of them. And they cast a lot, and obviously when you've got a, you're flipping a coin or whatever, and it's got two sides, and there's two people to pick from, one of those two people is going to be picked. Uh, they really needed a three-sided die or whatever, saying, Matthias, this other guy, or somebody we don't know yet. <laughs> Too many times we go into God and say, God, what's the answer, this or that? And God says, no, it's over here. <laughs> but we're so focused on the this or that, that we miss God's answer and we get impatient. This is where Saul's at. God, you're not answering me by dream. You're not answering me through the priest. You're not answering me through the prophets. So I'm going to take things in my own hands and I'm going to go find a medium. Now, uh, this just shows how far gone he really is. He starts out right. God, I'm going to go, you know, I expect it maybe you show me in a dream, you'll talk to me, or I'll go to the priest and the priest will talk to me. Well, the prophets will talk to me, and when he didn't get those answers right away, he goes and finds the median. And in verse 7, it says, Then said Saul to his servant, Seek me a woman that has a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of you, of her. And the servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that has a familiar spirit at Endor. It almost sounds like they answered this fa awfully fast. It's almost, the way it's worded, it sounds like they didn't even have to go find this person, which makes you wonder how thoroughly he had, he had eradicated the, the, these people from the kingdom. Now, that may be. I mean, it could be just one of those things where they went out and found it and came back. But, it, you know, the way it reads, it was like, ask a question, here's your answer. Uh, and I don't know that for sure, but I just, you know, it, it makes me wonder. And they find this woman who talks with the dead or theoretically, the way we understand it in the scripture, she talks with a demon who's pretending to be the dead. Okay, And this is something that we want to really hammer through. People that are talking to the dead are not talking to the spirits of the dead people that they are trying to reach. They are talking to demons pretending to be that person. And it's not hard for a demon to pretend to be that person because they got great records, you know, they, they're good record keepers. Satan's a good record keeper. He knows 
you know, the strengths, weaknesses. They've been around these people when their pet names are given. You know, people go, well, they knew something nobody could know. Well, you're forgetting the spiritual world is around you all the time, and the spirits are around you when you think nobody else is there, good and bad. If it's spoken or done, both the demonic forces and the angelic forces know what was done. Because there's lots of demons out there. Not to scare people, but there's lots of demons out there. There's a lot more angels out there because there's two angels for every one demon. But there's a lot of demons out there. A third of the angelic force fell with Lucifer. Now, they are not omnipresent. They are not all-knowing. But whatever it means to move in the spiritual world, they can move. And they can move fairly fast because Jesus, when he came in and saw the disciples on the, on the upper room, the walls did not keep him out of the room. The locked door did not keep him out of the room. And then... Very shortly after that, he was with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, talking with them, and disappeared out of their sight and went someplace else. The spirit world does not know the physical limitations that we know of as far as distance and space. All right, When we get to heaven, we're going to be in that spiritual world. And it's just possible that we could play here on earth or play in Alpha Centauri with, with no problem at all and no delay of getting there. Yeah, and I'm just speculating, but it is, time and space has no, as we understand it, have no bearing on the spiritual world. Now, they have their, probably their own time and space. We know that the tree of life in, in the new heaven and new earth produces fruit in, 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 in its seasons. So there's some form of time, but it is different from our time. And so we want to keep this in mind. The demons can find out things that nobody else knows. If it's been spoken, they'll pro they've probably heard it. Uh, the secrets that get put in, the secret plans that get done, number one, they probably input it into them, but they're going to hear the secret plans. They're going to hear all these things. So this person is going to call up a familiar spirit. And they found this person fairly quick. And it says in verse 8, Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes. And went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray you divine unto me by the familiar spirits, and bring to me whom I shall name you. Okay, so he tries to disguise himself. Now one thing about this disguise, and she, let's go ahead and read her response. And the woman said unto him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, and how is he has cut off those who have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore do you lay a snare for my life, to cause me to die. She doesn't seem to know that she's dealing with Saul, but she suspects there's something going on here. Why? Well, when people have power, prestige, and authority, that carries over them no matter what they do. The king might be able to try to hide his appearance, but the way he walks, the way he holds himself, the way he speaks is going to hold authority. Uh, this is true even if you go to a business. You pretty much know who holds authority by the way they talk to other people. Even if they're not being condescending to people, there's just a tone in their voice that you know this person's in charge. <laughs> you know, and the way people obey when that person speaks. 
And Saul is here. He's going to speak to her, say, bring to me. And I'm sure his com- it was a command. It wasn't, it wasn't really a request. It was almost that command that the king was used to giving. I'm giving you a command, and I expect it to be followed through. And he's got two men with him that are his bodyguards. <laughs> if you are ever around somebody with bodyguards, no matter how much the bodyguard tries to blend into the crowd, it is pretty obvious if you're aware that they don't belong in the crowd. <laughs> They're watching things a little closer. You can usually see the weapon in them. They're staying really close to the person that they're supposed to be guarding. So here's Saul trying to not be known as a king, whose voice is going to hold the king's commands, who has two men there that are obviously his bodyguard. And the woman kind of looks at him and says, uh, I don't know who you are necessarily, but you're trying to set a trap for me. And her wording, I almost believe that she knew it was Saul. You know what Saul has done. <laughs> you know, kind of reminding him, you know what Saul has done, how he's gotten rid of all, the, all those with familiar spirits and wizards. You know, are you, are you, uh, aren't you Saul <laughs> type question? Uh, why are you laying a trap for me? Uh, and there's a paranoia in this that's justified, number one. Okay, well, who is this? Why are they trying to set a trap? You know, how did I gain, how did I get into the attention of the king to, to be set, have them set this trap for me? Uh, and then verse 10, And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, there shall no punishment happen unto you for this thing. I find this very interesting. He's going to the median to call up a demon and his promise to her is by the Lord. Yeah, this just to me is a conundrum that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I know you're following after things that aren't of God, but by God, I'm going to tell you that nothing's going to happen to you. But I want you to do something that is not godly. This to me is just a really bizarre statement. <laughs> she accepts it. She accepts it as, a, as an okay statement, but you know, this is just one of those things. This whole chapter is a very funny chapter to me. You know, he's seeking out the demonic and anti-God activities and swearing by God that nothing's going to happen to her. This just goes to show how far gone Saul is. But unfortunately, we do the same kind of things. You know, you know, God, I'm just going to pray about this, and I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> but I want your blessing on it. And when we're challenged, we'll go, okay, God's, God's, God's got you okay. You know, God, I'm on God's side. It's not a problem. And this is what Saul's saying. I'm on God's side, you know, and I promise by God that nothing's going to happen, but I want you to do what I want you to do, even though it's against God. What a, what a predicament that he's in because this is how far gone and far away from God he is. God's not answering him, and he's going to find his own way to get an answer from God. And he's going to use God's name to, to make it that he can get this answer. And this is really a hard place, not something that I haven't seen others do in lifetime, and haven't probably done myself at various points. But this is what he's doing And the woman said, who shall I bring to you? And he said, bring up Samuel. 
All right, now this woman doesn't seem to be having too much problem with you know, being able to call up the dead. She expects to be able to call up whoever it is. The demon that she sees is going to appear as to whatever she, she wants. She's probably getting a little bit of a start here. You want Samuel? It doesn't say this, but you know, the idea of I, I want you to call up the man of God who is the one that's responsible for me to put you all out of, out of the kingdom anyway. Call him up. And this is going to be something interesting. Verse 12, And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. <laughs> right? She got a spirit that came up. It was not the spirit she expected. This statement is one of the reasons I kind of believe that Samuel actually was sent back. There would be a different feel to this spirit. This is a spirit blessed by God with goodness. She's used to a demonic spirit with all the negative emotion attached to that demonic spirit. If you've ever been around a demon, there is a presence in a demon that is all ungodly and fear and dark. And when you're around God, there's light and lightness. And this one, she is in panic. This is not the spirit she's used to seeing. Again, whether it's a demon that was brought in, if it's a different one than God normally, than she normally sees. She's in a panic mode. This is not what she's used to. Whether it was definitely Samuel and this is a goodness that she's not aware of, or it's a demon that is very different than what she's used to. She's seeing something that's not normal. And at that point she goes, okay, now I know that you're Saul. <laughs> okay, I suspected it before, <laughs> but you are Saul. And, uh, and, um, and it said that she had a loud cry when this, this spirit showed up. She's, she's panicked. This is not a normal conjuring for her. Uh, in our day and age, and in that day and age, there was a lot of con artist seances going on, where they would ask the right questions, talk about the right thing, and she might have been a con artist as well. She might have just been a con artist that was really good at making people believe that she saw spirits. Right now, she's seeing something she's not, <laughs> she wasn't ready for whatever happened here. Uh, whether she was a conar seeing a real demon or Saul or normally used to one demon and another demon has shown up or Saul has shown up, we don't know exactly, but she is in a panic. Something is happening and she doesn't know what's going on. And uh, then verse 13 says, And the king said unto him, Be not afraid, for what saw you? And the woman said to Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. All right, so Saul's saying, what did you see? And this is why I almost believe she was a con artist. She's seeing things come up that she's not used to seeing. Okay, at the very least, she's seeing more than she's normally used to seeing. And God's here is not referring to gods, but spirits. She is seeing spirits, powerful spirits. If she's seeing Samuel, she's seeing a great power as he emanates God's power. And if she's seeing some other demon that she's not used to, she's seeing a power she's not used to seeing. 
This woman is terrified. She's played with things that she doesn't understand what she's playing with, and she's getting more than she's ever counted on getting. And this is something that happens with us often. When we play around with sin, we sometimes get something much more and deeper than we really expect to have out of it. And God brings a judgment and bring, can scare us in the process of all of this. And this happens with those that play with the demonic world. Sometimes they get a demon that's more powerful than they thought they were getting ready to conjure up. Or they, the first time they ever have done it. And all of a sudden they get this. They actually get a demon. Uh, and they just thought they were playing, playing games with something. Want to be very careful when we do these things. If you want to play with fire, eventually you'll get burnt. And we want to be very careful with this. And here she's playing with, she's been playing with fire. And then Saul goes, well, what, is, what does this person look like? Okay. And she says, it's an old man covered with a mantle. And it says, and Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself down. So again, we're not told directly that this is Samuel. Matter of fact, nobody even knows if it might be Samuel or not Samuel because what she saw was an old man with a, with a cape over him. Uh, could be just about anything. You know, uh, Saul, though, knows he wanted Samuel called up and Samuel wore a mantle, God's mantle. Uh, so he's immediately assuming it's Saul, uh, Samuel. Again, don't know exactly what we saw. We don't know exactly how God did this. And that's why I kind of hedge my bet on this, because I don't know exactly what, he's, what he saw. He's going to get a message from God. But God is sovereign and God is all-powerful. He could very much make the demon open its mouth to say what he wants him to say, just as easy as he could have brought Saul back to speak the word. Or Samuel. I would keep wanting to say Saul, don't I? Uh, bring Samuel back to say the word. It doesn't, and it doesn't really matter which it is. Okay, It really doesn't matter which he saw and heard from. Because he's going to get the message God wanted him to get. And oftentimes, God will use the world to get us a message back to us. You know, God is powerful. If, it, if all we're listening to the world is he'll use the world to get it to us. Not his first choice. Not the choice that he wants. But if that's the only one we're going to hear, then he may just say, okay, you know, let me give you a television show that's going to, you know, a stupid television show with a bad message that is going to give you something that you're going to hear. That is going to be something I want you to hear. All right? Is it his first choice? Absolutely not. Will God use it? If that's the only thing you'll listen to, he'll use it. Right, the message in verse 15. And Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and answers me no more, neither by prophets nor dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may make known to me what I should do. All right? And this is the kind of request you would expect. You know, why have you bothered me? I'm dead. You know, why are you bothering me? And his answer was, you know, hey, I'm, I'm in great need. I am in such great need. The Philistines are standing at war on me and nobody, and God is just not answering me. And none of the prophets will answer me, so I'm coming to you, Saul, uh, Samuel. <laughs> and 
this is something that's interesting because this takes us into this whole place. You know, he knew God's word. God had already told him what was going to happen. You're going to lose the kingdom. And yet when it comes down to it, he's going, God, you know, can I please not have this happen, but I don't want to do it your way. If Saul was really concerned about this, he'd have gone to the temple, he would have offered sacrifices, and he would have stayed there until God had given him an answer. But that's not what he's done. Obviously, he went to the priest because he said, They're not, you're, God, you're not answering me by the Urim. But he's back on the front line waiting to say, what, you know, what should I be doing? He's already decided he's going to war in his mind. He's already decided, I'm going to war, but I just want God's blessing upon me as I get ready to go to war. And we're going to see in the next chapter, he goes to war in spite of the message he's going to get from Samuel. Uh, and verse 16, and then said Samuel, wherefore do you ask me, seeing the Lord is departed from you and become your enemy? Going, what are you bothering me for? God is your enemy. He's not answering you. Why are you asking me? And again, this answer could really be from Samuel or from a demon. It really doesn't matter on this one. You know, you're coming to me. What does matter to me? Again, it could very easily be Samuel, because it says Samuel, but it could also be the description of what he saw. I'm seeing Samuel. Again, it's not, I, I, that's why I tend to lean that he saw Samuel. But at the same time, I go, is it possible that it wasn't? He saw what he saw. Uh, but I do agree, and that's why I phrased it at the very beginning. The Bible does say Samuel. So I tend to want to go when the Bible says something, on, you know, to agree with it. And, but it is just one of those hard, it's, it's one of these very hard sections of scripture. Because we know that once you die, you're with God and you're not coming back. And so this is one of those places where God makes a big exception to his rule of death or uses something else in its place that looks like Samuel. Uh, and I don't care which it is. God's perfectly capable of doing either way. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, and I do kind of lean toward that, yes, God sent Samuel to him. But I still look at it and I still struggle like every other person who struggles with this section. Okay, God, you don't send the dead back. You know, is this really Samuel? Uh, and yes, we look at that and that's what leads us toward it's Samuel because it says Samuel. <laughs> Samuel said. Uh, and he gives back the message that God gave him long, long, you know, decades before that. Um, so like I said, I'm not taking a hard stance either way, but I, I accept that it probably was Samuel. <laughs> but I kind of hedge it because it just, it's so strange. It's one of these very strange sections that seems to not fit into the rest of scripture. And it would be nice if it wasn't there. <laughs> Samuel came back by God. That's exactly, yeah, that's just it. God can do what God wants to do. Yeah. As long as it doesn't cause sin, it, it, he can do what he wants to do. And so he could very well have sent Samuel back and said, I want you to go talk to Saul, seeing as how he's not listening to anybody else. And he's pressing hard, you go talk to him. It is quite possible. Uh, and I'm not going to argue, definitely won't argue that. <laughs> because I kind of lean that direction. <laughs> uh, 
And it says, you know, and he says, God has departed from you. And, and Saul's going, you know, God's departed from me. I want to know what to do. And Samuel says, you know, in verse 16, uh, well, you know what you've asked of me. God has departed from you. Why, why are you asking me? You know, you know, what are you bothering me for? Uh, you already know the answer. Verse 17, and the Lord said unto him, the Lord hath done to him and spoke by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, even to David. So this time, at least we absolutely know that David is, now Saul knows that David's getting the kingdom. It's been suspected all along that he knew, but now before the big battle, he knows that David's getting the kingdom. He absolutely knows, and we know from scripture that he knows. It, everything before this has kind of indicated that he knew, but now we know <laughs> as he gets ready to go into the big battle, he knows David's going to be the next king. Uh, verse 28, because you disobeyed, you obeyed not the voice of the Lord, nor executed his fierce wrath upon Am Amalek, therefore has the Lord done this thing to you this day. He goes, I already told you, Saul, you didn't obey God way back at the beginning of your kingdom. God has torn it, and now we are finally at the point where your, your judgment is going to fall. And again, this is what we started at. Sometimes God delays in punishment. What is he delaying for? Maybe he's hoping that we'll re truly repent and he can give us less punishment for the consequences. We talked about Moses. Moses did not get to go into the promised land because he struck the rock. From that point on, he never repented for what he did. He always told the people, it's your fault that I'm not going into the kingdom, into the promised land. It's your fault. And you see it over and over again. It's your guys' fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. He never humbled himself and recognized, I'm at fault. I truly believe that he ever had humbled himself and recognized that it was his fault that he wasn't going to go in, that God may have let him go into the kingdom, but God knew that he would not humble himself and repent. He knew Saul would not humble himself and repent. So Saul is now reaping what he has sown. Decades later, reaping what he has sown. And this is something that's so important for us to understand. Sometimes we reap decades later. Well, that was a sin that he had committed, though, after he had been converted, if you want to use, become a Christian. He'd become a Christian way back at the burning bush. His sin was well into his lifetime, and there's times when we do things in our life that are going to cause us problems, even as Christians. God will take what we did before we're Christians and give us back the years that the locusts have eaten, give us back the years the locusts, have, uh, the worms have destroyed, and make good out of those there. After we're saved, we still need to repent for our sins, and otherwise God will bring judgment upon us and consequences for us after the fact as well. There's always consequence for sin, especially unrepented sin, and especially for those of us that are his children. If we have un unrepented sin, God says, it's going to be serious. Saul, I believe, was... was a believer. We talked about that way back when he was anointed king and he started prophesying and 
and speaking, speaking God's word and all of that, I believe that we'll see Saul in heaven. Okay, there are a lot of people that don't. You know, I believe that once saved, always saved. So I believe Saul got saved, will be in heaven. He lost a lot of rewards for his not correctly living. All right. Moses lost the biggest reward <laughs> for his unrepented sin. He didn't get to go into the promised land. We see this oftentimes in the scriptures where people fail at the end of their life. You know, Paul said, I've run the race, I have fought the fight, I am ready for the kingdom. The sad thing is that there are many examples in the Bible, probably more examples than not, of people who fail at the end of their life and just stop serving God the right way. And that's something that scares me because I've watched friends of mine do the same thing. Follow God, follow God, follow God, and all of a sudden misstep at the end of the, you know, end of the life and going, what's wrong? Have you gone crazy? You know, have you gone crazy? How come you're not <laughs> following what you've always taught or followed what you know to be true? And it's a scary thought you know, that at the end of our life, as we start getting old, we start getting slowing down, we start thinking about retirement, we start, and then we start slipping from our faithfulness with God. And that's a scary thing. And I've seen a lot of it over the years. And my goal for myself is God help me stay faithful to the end. Help me keep my focus on you all the way to the end and not falter, not fail. And it's his grace that's going to do it, but I've seen so much of it. And I've seen a lot of people successfully get to the end of their life as well. But it is so easy to falter and fail. Saul did it pretty early on in his, in his life, but apparently he was doing okay. He got rid of the medians. He, you know, he was following some of the things, and now he's getting panicky, and he's totally going to fail. You're there. No, there's no way right. You're not going to be tossed away. You're not going to jump out. You're, nothing will take you out. If you are in his hand and you are his, you are his. And that's why I think we're going to see Saul in heaven. I, think, I know we'll see Moses in heaven. You know, it's certain people that we see that have faltered at the end of their life. I'm sure they're in heaven because God, they were gods. Okay. They... Even though they falter, even though they fail, if they were truly gods, they're in heaven. Now the question is, when you're living that lifestyle, is were they truly gods? And that's between them and God, not me. Because I'm sure Moses was on God's side, even though he kind of faltered toward the faltered in, at the end of his life. He's gods, and he went to heaven. And matter of fact, we know he went to heaven because he shows up later on. <laughs> Okay, uh, you know, we know that he shows up with Jesus on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. So we know he's there, even though he had this faltering toward the end. Not major, but he had this faltering, unrepented sin in the end of his life. I've seen some people who've truly gone away, and I've had people actually look and say, well, you can't believe that that person's going to go to heaven. Look how bad they're living. Well, look how good they lived back then when they said they were on God's side. Who am I to judge where they are now or back then? That's still a forgivable sin. Anything is a forgivable sin. The only unforgivable sin is to reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the only thing that will send somebody to hell, really. Jesus paid for all the sins, and if you want to reject that gift, you go to hell. So as I was talking with somebody earlier today, 
You can go and be the worst person your entire life and one second before you die, turn to God and say, I need you, Jesus, and truly mean it and go to heaven. One second before you die. Do you have any rewards? No. Did you have a terrible life? Absolutely. But you can be in heaven. I, don't want to I wouldn't want to see anybody gamble on being able to ask Jesus into their heart in the last second of their life. But it could happen. The worst person you could possibly think of could ask Jesus into their heart at the last second of life. And for our generation, it would probably be somebody like Hitler or, or, or bin Laden. You know, murdered many people. Either one of them, if they had asked Jesus into their life right before they died, will be in heaven. Do I expect to see them there? No. Could they be there? Yes. <laughs> okay. Somebody walking with God who falters and fails at the end of their, you know, toward the end of their life in, in unrepented sin, do they lose rewards? Yes. Will they go to heaven? If they are truly gods, they will be in heaven. And this is the confidence that we have. And this bothers a lot of people who don't really believe in God's grace. Usually they will come up with, well, that person doesn't deserve to be in heaven. Well, neither do I. And bluntly, neither do you who's judging that person who, who's not worthy of going to heaven. None of us deserves to be in heaven. You can pick the most godly person that you've ever heard of or know. They don't deserve to be in heaven. The only one that deserves to be there that's ever lived is Jesus. Everybody else fails and deserves hell. And when we lose sight of that, we start standing in judgment of other people and the way they live. Now, well, God, how can you use that person? Because of my grace. <laughs> because of grace. And this is what we look at. And Saul is told here, because you did not obey me, I have taken the kingdom out. And verse 19 is one of those sad verses. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons with you shall also be delivered with the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Saul, you're going to die. Your sons are going to die. And I'm going to give the entire nation over to the Philistines. All because of his disobedience several decades earlier in not being obedient to God ramifications and the consequences that we face so often affect others and not just us. You know, and this is the scary thing. You know, so many times we'll look at a sin and say, well, you know, I can handle the consequences. It's not really that big. And we don't realize that we're not necessarily the one that's going to see the consequences. David looking at Bathsheba, ah, no big deal. I'll just lay with her and you know, her husband will think it's his kid. No big deal snowball of the consequences. Has a child with Bathsheba. The whole kingdom gets to know about David's sin. He kills Uriah. The whole kingdom gets to know about it. Then we go into all the other problems that are told to him later on. Sin is always worse than we think it's going to be on its consequences and always affect more people than we expect them to, to, to be affected. Saul is about to see that conclusion of his kingdom. Yeah, you, know, you didn't obey me, God. Now, Saul, you lose your, your life, your boy's life, 
and the entire kingdom all goes, all goes into captivity because of what you did. 20 or 30 years later, he gets the consequences. Probably at that time, he was thinking, I got away with it. I get, I get to keep the kingdom. Nope. God had pronounced a judgment. It happened. And this is something that's very serious. And then verse 20, Then Saul fell straightway on the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength left in him because he had not eaten all day and all night. All of a sudden, he goes into a sheer panic. Okay, I'm going to die. As a matter of fact, I've been now told he's one of those few people who know the day of their death. Tomorrow. When exactly tomorrow, he doesn't know, but he knows tomorrow he's dead. And he also knows that tomorrow my sons are dead and my kingdom goes into captivity. How would you like to start your day with that kind of knowledge? I die tomorrow, my, my kids all die tomorrow, and my kingdom, everything I own gets taken away. So my wife has nothing, my daughters have nothing, you know, everything is gone. Knowing it's your fault for something you did 30 years earlier, what a conundrum Saul is at. Even at this point, he could have asked for forgiveness. He may still have died. Maybe the kingdom wouldn't have gone into captivity if he had just repented. We don't know. But even at this point, he's not repenting. He's in total fear. And knowing that everything is lost and not going before God to try to figure out what can be done. What a sad state that Saul is in. But such a sad state as I've seen lots of people get into when they get so far from God that they just have no hope. And at that point, Saul and many that I've seen that do this, they get so far from God that they forget God's grace. All they're looking at is God's judgment and his hard, hard hand and heavy hand. And God's trying to get them to repent and turn back to him so he can give them grace and mercy. And yet, when you get to a certain spot, you just don't want to or cannot accept God's grace. And I've heard it from people. I'm so bad, God cannot forgive me, usually from the lost, but I've heard it from Christians as well. I've, I've done so many things, and I knew they were wrong. It's harder sometimes for a Christian. I knew they were wrong. It wasn't I just accidentally got into this sin and accidentally did it. I knew better. And when you know better, you start getting this idea of, can I real, will God really forgive me? Will he truly give me grace because I knew that I was doing wrong? And as I went along, I knew I was doing wrong. And now I come to judgment, and how can God forgive me because I deserve what's coming my way? I'm kind of sorry about all the other people who are going to suffer because of my sin, but I'm getting what I deserve, and I don't deserve to be forgiven. And that's where Saul's at. Don't, forgive, don't deserve to be forgiven, and lots of people are going to be hurt before me, but he still will not come to God and ask for forgiveness. I so pity that when people get that far. You know, been there myself when I walked away from God. You know, God, you don't, you know, I don't deserve forgiveness. And finally just said, I don't deserve it, but God, thank you for forgiving as he brings forgiveness into our life.
but you can get to the place where you're just so sure that you deserve it and that God cannot forgive you. It really goes to show us that sometimes we don't understand God and his love and his compassion. It's heavy despair. But when you, feel, when you know that you deserve what's coming your way, it's hard not to despair. God, you know, I really deserve this. You know, my kids don't deserve it. My wife doesn't deserve it. You know, but my business didn't deserve it, but I deserved it. And such deep despair that he won't turn to God because he didn't fully understand God's love, compassion, and grace. David is going to understand God's love, compassion, and grace as he goes and he bows his heart and says, God, I have sinned against you. Forgive me. And God forgives him. Still has the consequences in his life, but God forgives him and gives him the peace of that forgiveness. And David does relatively good. There's no, no statement that says he laid in bed wondering, you know, God, whoa, how bad is life because of all, you know, all the people suffering because of what I've done. I'm sure he did. I'm sure there were times when he just laid in bed and said, God, all this trouble on me, my people, and it's all my fault. You know, and we've all been there probably in our own lives. You know, so much trouble in my life, and it's my fault. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. Lord, help us to understand your grace and your mercy. Help us to repent of our known sins and even be able to come back to you and ask for forgiveness, Lord. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this that doesn't know you, that they would turn to you, accept you as their Lord, and live in that salvation. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.